God entered into a different covenant on Mount Sinai with the Jewish fathers. Who, the ones, as Moses said, who were present on the mountain that day. Because God is pursuing his goal of having sons, when the ones who were invited to come up were not worthy, rejected the offer, God now goes and looks for those who might be his sons from among the nations. But he starts over, entering into a covenant with these fathers on the mountain. But this covenant is very different. The Jews at the mountain that day are parties of this covenant, and God is the party of this covenant as well. So God is party number one, the Jews are party number two. Immediately, you can see what the problem is. God is going to keep his agreement, because God is God. If this covenant fails, it will fail because of the Jews' inability or unwillingness to keep it. And then the question will become, what are the consequences? But before we get to that, there were four things God promised the Jews. And they were that God would make of them a nation. That God would protect their nation. That God would protect their economy and God would give them health care. These were the four things. By the law, that is by the, the, the Mosaic Code, the Ten Commandments, and the 631 laws. By that, God made them into a nation. For almost 400 years prior to that time, they were slaves. They had been in Egypt and were made slaves for hundreds of years. But, as they came out of Egypt, they were not a nation. They had a tribal connection, but they were slaves. For example, who would be the judges? Who would be the priests? Who would be the nobles? If you're all reduced to slavery, who determines that? How would you, how would you judge disputes between members of the nation? All these are the considerations. So, what does God do? He gives them laws that spread out all these considerations and brings order to them as a nation. The laws contain rules of accountability. I am the Lord your God, and I will hold you accountable. I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. These, this is the language of accountability. Why? Because the Jews are, are to know that God is party of the first part, and he is the one who intends to hold them accountable. The law also contains issues of um, all forms of jurisprudence, including such things as property law, contracts, family law, criminal law, the rules of evidence. What do we suppose is meant by the commandment, or what motivates the commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This is about the rules for, for the introduction of evidence. Who might testify, and what are the requirements of a witness? These are the rules of evidence. If you borrow your neighbor's 
donkey and the donkey dies while you are using it what then what do you do how do you take care of that uh, of that situation well god begins god tells them that you restore a donkey to your neighbor give him another one or pay the price that evaluates the donkey's worth that's property law if somebody accidentally hurts or injures another and they suffer personal injuries or even death what do you do it's not intentional but it happened and harm has resulted to a person the scriptures laid out tort law how do you compensate for injury criminal law if there is criminal intent and there are acts pursued in furtherance of that criminal intent what do you do how do you how do you address that harm or injury to persons and to the society well there's criminal law you know if a man strikes his is a neighbor in anger what do you how do you address that there was a city of refuge or cities of refuge that would later be developed with the intention of uh, holding persons um, in abeyance as it were holding cases in abeyance until proper procedure could be brought about by which the person might um, be given or afforded a fair hearing so all of these things were what the law is about 631 laws and the 10 commandments are about how god made them into a nation the law contained such issues as what they should eat or not eat in preservation of their health they were a mobile people before the time of refrigeration before the time where where for example uh, meats could be properly processed or even just what kinds of meats would be acceptable to them long before modern science understood the connection between things uh, animals that ate carrion or prey and the way that diseases could be transmitted and so on and god gave them rules dietary rules to govern all of this this isn't because god was going to be going to love you better if you if you ate some of these things versus if you didn't it was that your life was going to be prolonged so the things that god promised he delivered on he made them into a nation by the law he guarded them from their enemies he protected their crops and he protected their health now in exchange what did they have to do well they were required to keep the laws they were required to observe the sabbath they were required to observe uh, all the laws spoken in 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 the commandments dietary laws they were also required to pay a tithe to pay a tithe because this was how the administration of spiritual values took place under the law how it was funded the 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 tithe was taken to the priests the tithe belonged to the priests and it was their sustenance now there was one tribe of 12 who became the priests this was the tribe of levi so this was what the law was supposed to do and it did it 
The problem is, of course, whenever anyone is in a fellowship, in a covenantal relationship with God, God will always do what God has said he would do, and man can be counted on not to do what man has a duty to do. What that results in is an indebtedness. And this happened to the Jews as well. God kept his part of the bargain, the Jews did not. They became debtors because when you derive a benefit for which you have not paid and you have an obligation to pay, then someone's waiting on you to pay because you have incurred an indebtedness. Now, under the law, the indebtedness could only be satisfied in one of three ways. Number one, somebody else could pay your indebtedness for you to the one to whom you owe the indebtedness. But Jesus had not yet come. So, there was no payment. Number two, you could be forgiven. The one against whom you owed the indebtedness could simply forgive you. But there was no provision for forgiveness under the law. Number three, whatever assets you had remaining could be then taken and used to satisfy your indebtedness. Well, under the law, there was only one remaining asset to satisfy the indebtedness created by receiving a benefit from God for which the Jews did not pay. The only remaining asset was the Jew himself. And this is the nature of being a debtor without other assets. The only asset you have remaining is you. And that asset then must be submitted for payment of the indebtedness. When that happens, the person changes from being a human to becoming property. Because you're changed from a human being into an asset to satisfy property. In the history of the United States, we abolished debtors' prisons, but the Europeans, and particularly the British, had debtors' prisons. It was when you owed more than you could pay, then you and your family were pressed into indentured servitude to the one to whom you owed the money. When that happens, you change your status from a citizen to a slave because you are changed from a person to property. Now, vis-a-vis someone to whom you are a slave, you have no rights. One may ask, why did Abraham not choose to make Ishmael his heir, although Ishmael was his firstborn son? was his son and he was his firstborn son. Why was Ishmael not chosen to be Abraham's heir? Why was Isaac the chosen heir? The answer is very simple. Before Abraham, or rather before Ishmael was Abraham's son, Ishmael was Abraham's slave. And vis-a-vis Abraham, Ishmael had no claim or right For he was first his slave, and then he was his son. 
How did Ishmael get to be Abraham's slave? His mother was a slave in the household of Abraham. Therefore, every offspring of Hagar, however many she would have had, would have all been slaves. Let me put it in terms that are easier to understand. In the history of the United States, African slaves were part of the history. If a white slave owner impregnated a black female slave whom he owned, and of this occurrence a son was born, what right would that son have against his mother's master? He'd have no rights. The law would not recognize the claim of a slave against his master. Even if the slave, the master of the slave is also his father. Because once you're a slave, you cannot also be a son. Because what it means to be a son in this context is not biology alone. It's having legal rights that are enforceable as a matter of law. A slave has no rights of inheritance against his father. So the law created slaves because there was an indebtedness that could not be paid. And the children of, of the law, children of Israel born under the law, were inherently born into slavery. Look at it from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And because they were slaves, they could never be sons. Here it is. The book of Galatians, chapter 4, I'm sorry. Here it says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law. This is Galatians 4.21. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Now note the reference to Hagar and Sarah are references in terms of their liberty interest. Hagar is a slave. Sarah is a free woman. And that sets up the matter of the status of their sons. His son, Abraham's son, by the slave woman, was born in the ordinary way. That means she could have children, she belonged to Abraham as a member of her, his household as a slave, so she could have children to Abraham. But the son by the free woman was born as a result of promise. Now, we said that the covenant of sonship is between God and God, and Abraham was the third party beneficiary. It was a promise made to him. He was not entitled to sonship. It was a promise that God made to himself, which promise he attached to the lineage of Abraham. So, that's the difference. Born as a result of promise. These things may be taken figuratively. 
When the Bible says you may take something figuratively, that's because it intends for you to take it figuratively. Why? What is the figure of speech? One, because for the two women or the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. Now, which covenant was that? Unmistakably, this is the law. It was enacted at Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. I've explained how that comes about. God made the covenant with the Jews. Moses said it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. God did not make this covenant with our fathers. He's made it with us who are alive here at the mountain today. It was God with the Jews. Now God would always keep his covenant, but the Jews would not. Therefore there arose an indebtedness under the law, which in order to satisfy that indebtedness, the Jews then had to be converted from, from human beings to property to satisfy this. And they changed their status from being free people to the status of being slaves. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. You must understand what an insult this would have been to the Jews. And what an insult it would be to Jews today, and to those people who are Judaizers among the people of God. It's a popular thing today to be a Judaizer. But the danger that it is, is that it turns sons back to slavery. And you lose your rights of sonship once you become a slave. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. At the point at which Paul was saying this, Jerusalem had not fallen. So he was saying Mount Sinai corresponds to Hagar because the children of the law are going to be made into slaves, and that ties into the present city of Jerusalem with the temple and with the worship associated with the temple. And it says this about all of that. She is in slavery with her children. Now for all those who would go under the law, especially if you're a believer, never under the law, if you would go under the law, this is what you've done. You have traded your liberty in Christ for the status of a slave. You've gone from a relationship of grace, the grace of sonship, to the restrictions of the law, which you can never keep. And because you cannot keep the law, you've traded your place in the house of God for that of a slave. That's what you've done. Because the law is only capable of making you into a slave. Now that's what Paul is saying here. But it says, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Now, here it it gets to be amazingly plain. I'd like for you just to look at verse 15 of Galatians, the third chapter. And this lays out 
everything that I've been saying. It lays out the fact that God began creation with a promise of sonship, a covenant that he swore to himself. That covenant pre-existed the law and is known as a covenant. God attaches this covenant to Abraham and promises his descendants that they would be his heirs. At Mount Sinai, he offers this covenant to the Jews, promising to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They elected not to, because that would have required them to go up into the presence of God, which when they refused to, then God gave them the law. The law was between them and God, because they couldn't keep the law. The law made them a slave. God kept the law, they refused to keep it, they were made into slaves. But here the scriptures line all of this out for us. This is not a mystery. I would challenge anyone to read the following verses. This is from Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to Abraham's seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later. Later than what? Then this promise to Abraham, the law does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus, thus do not uh, do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed should come, to whom the promise refers. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator, the mediator being Moses. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? The answer is absolutely not, for if a law had been given that would impart life, then righteousness would have come certainly by the law. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Therefore, before this faith came, we were all held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. What are we then? You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says, if you are Christ, that if you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So first, God promised them sonship 
They refused sonship, they were put under the law, but because they couldn't keep the law, they became slaves. The law on Mount Sinai existed 430 years after the original covenant was made. God first made a covenant with himself and then ratified that covenant with Abraham. That was the existing covenant. That's why God would have brought them up to Mount Sinai to have entered that covenant. When they rejected that covenant then, God gave them the law which made them into slaves. He could hold them under the restrictions of the law until the seed should come. But once the seed came, he fulfilled the law and he did away with it. We want to continue in a second part to this to compare the relationship of sons to that of slaves. I'm Sam Solon and we'll continue this discussion.